This is Terrible Parables, a podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, in which a Bible scholar, a pastor, and an anxious Christian look for some good news and passages of Scripture that are difficult, frightening, or particularly, well, terrible. I'm your host, Callie Yee, and in a little bit, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Todd Brewer and Brian Gerald. Join us as we find that sometimes the spooky things that go bump in the night are just figments of our imaginations. Jesus said, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So in some senses, this is a parable that uh, cuts to and repeats lots of things that show up in Jesus' other teachings. Um, so in some senses, it's terrible because it's not alone in other things that Jesus teaches. But the other aspect of it is that it seems to make salvation conditional. Uh, mm. Like the idea that a debt could be forgiven and this guy has a really bad day and then he ends up spending the rest of his life uh, paying off this debt that was already forgiven. It's, yeah. It seems like something can be taken away from you that was already given and binds together um, forgiveness from God and how we respond to that forgiveness as if they're one and the same. I think, you know, in a church setting, if I'm, I'm preaching and, and teaching from this parable, as people are hearing this parable, it's taking them back to moments in their lives that are, are really painful because unforgiveness is painful. 
And so they're sitting there going back and thinking about all of the sort of hardships from their past and the people who have genuinely done them wrong. And they're trying to wrap their minds around the fact that, wait a minute, wait a minute, this person has done terrible things to me and Jesus wants me to forgive them. You know, for me personally, you know, this, this brings up, uh, gosh, it brings up a, a dating relationship I had in, in college and, uh, this girl that I was dating, you know, we were not good for each other. Uh, you know, and looking back, I had plenty of things that I did wrong in the relationship. So I'm not trying to throw her under the bus, but so this mm-hmm. isn't your current wife. Correct. I did not end okay. up marrying this woman. Okay, in clarity. That, that's good. That's good. Is she still I, I, a part of your life? Uh, she's, she is not. In fact, uh, she has blocked me on Facebook and that's probably oh. for the better. <laughs> Uh, I deserve it. <laughs> she blocked you. I did. I went to go look her okay, up. Okay, anyway. what did you do that caused her to Guys, block you? Guys, we're talking you? about the parable, not my ex-girlfriends. Okay. I mean, uh, anyway, uh, so so we were we were talking once, and and she had come from a very hard family life. Uh, she had physically and emotionally abusive parents, mm. and uh, you know, my heart goes out to anyone listening who's in the same boat because you may be asking the same question. We're talking about a parable like this, and the question is. Does she need to forgive her parents for the way that they treated her and for what they stole from her, which was a loving childhood? And, uh, you know, I'm at the time, I'm 19, I'm 20, I don't know anything. <laughs> and uh, especially about relationships. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm with her and we're talking. And I said, you know, I think God wants you to forgive your parents. And uh, she looked at me and she smiled and she patted me on the head like I was a small child. And she said, Brian, if, if God knew, and God does know, God knows what I went through with my parents. And, and if God knows what he went through with my parents, uh, he would know that um, forgiveness is not an option right now. Mm. And did, did you then reference this parable as a... Yeah, that was the context, was, was a parable like this one, you know? And, uh, and, and so here I am sort of trying to make a teaching of Jesus into a law that we're supposed to follow. Mm -hmm. And all I'm doing is sort of bringing up this woman's very painful past. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I'm clueless. I'm over here thinking that when Jesus tells us parable, it's something that we can actually do. And I think as we look at the parable a little more, if you're listening to this today, thinking that you've got something in your past that needs to be forgiven uh, and you're really anxious about it. um, I I think there's more to the story here. And the more we spend time with it, the less terrible it's going to feel. Yeah, I think for for me, um, this recalls uh, a, a, a very interesting time when I was in college. I was he- driving home, and it was raining, and it was dark, and there was traffic, and all of a sudden, the cars in front of me stopped very suddenly, and so I hit the guy in front of me. My car went into the next lane, hit another car, oh, who no. then skidded forward and hit Oh gosh, three other cars. So like playing Ooh. dominoes. Yeah, this was this kind of like domino effect. Oh my gosh. And uh, we all get our out of out of our cars and I of course am um, playing stupid. I don't know what happened. Oh yes. Don't admit that you're guilty. Don't admit that you're sorry. Right. That's right. the number one rule when you get into a car crash. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I'm, uh, maybe it was someone else. I, <laughs> and eventually they f- figure out that it was in fact me. And um, but you know I have insurance that covers, and and we exchange information. All is well. We walk away. And then a couple months later, I get a phone call from my insurance company that tells me that I have been uh, I'm being personally sued mm. for Ooh. injury. Uh, apparently someone was wearing a neck brace for a couple weeks after this Ooh. accident. Oh gosh. And, um, and yeah, so, and then they broke the news that my insurance doesn't actually cover 
personal lawsuits. Todd, I'm dying for you right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, um, you know, and at the time I'm like newlywed went like a poor seminary student at the time and just sort of seeing dollar signs go, uh, in my, in my head about how much am I going to have to owe for this personally because my insurance won't cover it. Yeah. And then the the phone call was over and that was it. I uh, so for the next like 2 to 3 months after that, I basically lived under the weight of I'm going to owe hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially A debt to, you can't to pay. some stranger, mm-hmm. right? And then un, very unceremoniously, uh, r- particularly with respect to how much money it could have been, I get a letter in the in the mail that says uh, this has all been taken care of. Uh, everything is fine. From no. Wow. That's a thing you can get. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I, I think it might have been the case that I, they realized that I was a poor seminary student and didn't have any money to actually pay them. But nevertheless, there was, you know, who knows? Wait. So, um, Todd, I have to ask, are you a better driver because of that? So that's the thing. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. You, oh, ding, ding, ding. We you have a would winner. think that after you know the potential uh, being indebted for hundreds of thousands of dollars for a car accident, that I would be a better driver mm. uh, because of this. That it would engender a kind of uh, response of gratitude and uh, you know not be in a rush to get to places. But oh no, I am not a better driver because of this experience. Mm. Um, I'm thankful that I don't owe hundreds of thousands of dollars, but nevertheless, it no, it, 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 the, I was forgiven and I didn't turn around and say, I'm going the speed limit for the rest of my life. Mm. That didn't happen. Todd, you're from New Jersey. So like, you know, we can forgive you for being a bad driver. You come by it naturally. <laughs> I mean, if you're a defensive driver in New Jersey, you will get in an accident because you are a defensive <laughs> driver. Mm, yes. Don't drive in Minnesota, Todd. Just a tip. Yeah. I don't think it would end well for you. The ice wouldn't be good for me either. Oh, yeah. True. Yeah. So I think for like in some senses, th- this parable would uh, suggest that you have to respond in, s- in X, Y, and Z fashion or oh, yes. else, you know, I would still be on the hook for $100,000. Like the, like the, something can At be least. given and then taken away from you, uh, depending on how well you respond to, to it in the first place. Mm. So there's a lot at stake here yeah. in some senses, right? Yeah. Since there is a lot at stake, since it feels like that, why is this parable actually not that bad? Well, I think one of the pieces of context people often miss is that this is a parable given to Peter, right? Uh, that that if you look at the, the the chapter surrounding the unforgiven servant, Peter is the one who's addressed by this parable. Okay. And uh, you look at Jesus's other parables, and they tend to go to maybe crowds. They tend to maybe go to the Pharisees, or the Sadducees. This one goes straight to Peter in particular, and it comes on the heels of Jesus's admonition to him where Peter says, so just how often do I have to forgive my brother? And Jesus says, uh, Peter says seven times, is, and Peter thinks he's being very generous when he says seven times, and Jesus says, no, how about 70 times seven times, which is sort of a way of saying you always have to forgive. 
And this comes on the heels of some other related questions uh, of like church discipline, for example. And Jesus outlines a, a church discipline method that's very, you know, gracious in some sense, because you're not only trying to correct the behavior, but you're trying to preserve the honor of the person that you're correcting. There's a lot of grace in this passage that's being given out, and there's also a lot of resistance to that grace, and that resistance is coming from the people who follow Jesus. And so I think looking at Peter's life, what Peter may not understand at this point in Matthew's gospel, especially Peter the denier, Mm. he's going to need 70 times 7 forgiveness very soon. He's going to need um, his debt erased if he's going to continue to be in this sort of relationship role with Jesus. So I think that's one thing to take into account here that helps understand the parable a little more is that the parable is addressed specifically to Peter, someone who... Again, he's known as being a disciple who puts his foot in his mouth sometimes, and he's just done that with Jesus. And so I think that's one piece of it, that there's this, Jesus needs to lay down the foundation of forgiveness in his ministry. And it's so important for him to do that, that let's not be surprised that he sort of uses some hyperbole and turns the knob up to 11 here to help Peter understand just the ways that he's missed out on this passage. Mm, Yeah. So also what you're saying too, is that when we're reading the parables, Sometimes they are very hard to understand and they're confusing and can be misunderstood, but it's important to look at the context of them, like within yeah. within the gospels. It's important to look at the surrounding story that's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Who who is Jesus talking to? Yeah. Uh, what are the parables or teachings or life situations mm-hmm. that surround the parable? Yeah. Right. Those are the things that are going to give you the best context clues. Mm for what Jesus is trying to get at. That's what the the authors of these gospels are trying to do. These are works of literature, right? And we know if you're reading a a work of literature, the thing that is most helpful to understanding the work of literature is that work itself. So Mm. being able to read these and and recognize, okay, let's not just read the parable. Let's read what comes before and what comes after and see what's there is going to really help understand that this is not just sort of finger-wagging law for all Christians at all times. There's something deeper and richer going on here. Yeah. The parable is a part of a whole story. Yeah. So you mean Jesus wasn't uh, walking around Galilee giving pithy aphorisms and, uh, you know, little Instagram meme worthy sayings that people could repeat and say without any context or have any other kind of connection? I want to do that thought experiment with you one day. What would Jesus's Instagram look like? Now's not the time or the place, but what would Jesus meme? Yes. I think it's very important. Um, (laughs) Jesus Jesus was not memeable. Like that, that wasn't the point of his, his teaching and ministry. I can't imagine what a, like an actual meme of like a guy with a giant piece of wood stuck in his eye. That would not be a meme that goes viral. That would get shut down pretty quickly. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, you know, he didn't have a Twitter account, right? He, he spoke Two people in response to uh, questions, in response to people who present themselves who need miracles, like ev- everything he says essentially connects to everything he does or the people around him. And mm-hmm. so for this parable, I mean, this is uh, in Matthew 18, this is one of the five chunks of, of blocks of teaching. So even this parable relates, relates directly to what came before it, namely uh, the parable of the lost sheep. And then Peter, and then the question about uh, so-called section of church discipline, which then leads to Peter's question about how many times should I forgive my brother? Because whatever Peter binds in heaven, uh, in earth will be uh, bound in heaven, and whatever he looses on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so, I think this parable is a classic missing the forest for the trees moment. 
where we get very hung up on the idea that we are that we are the unforgiving servant and we miss out the fact of what actually happens and and the value that's being expressed in this parable. Like the big idea picture of this parable is that forgiveness is really important Mm. and that not only that, it's essential to who God is and uh, the life of the church and Christians by extension. Yeah. Um, It it seems disingenuous for Jesus to say, how many times do you forgive? 70 times seven, and then turn around and give us a parable where a guy is completely unforgiven at the end of it, right? So you know there's more to it there. And the king is unforgiving too. And the king is forgiving, but then he's unforgiving, right? right? So there is a sense here where where, um, we are trying to look at the importance of forgiveness, but like, let's not assume that... um, that this is sort of some great theological treatise on who gets into heaven and who gets into hell, mm. yeah. especially when two seconds before that, there yeah. seems to be a teaching from Jesus that is parallel and also maybe something a little bit opposite to it. So this is, um, in, in other words, this isn't a one-off kind of illustration story, so to speak. Like 70 times seven extends to God himself, right? If if human forgiveness and divine forgiveness should run in parallel to one another, then it is the it is the uh, pr- principally the case that God forgives seventy times seven, just as Peter is expected to forgive seventy times seven. Um, so, so the 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 causality between the two isn't this kind of once off thing, as if there's one person in your life that you can't forgive. Like that's up, oh, that's it, said and done, no more. Um, but rather, there's a kind of dynamic of repetition, which uh, is possible and open to. It's not a once-off. It's God forgives 70 times 7, just as much as Peter's supposed to. So we're talking about numbers. And and so the 70 times 7 is not the only numbers that Jesus mentions. He also talks about the 100 denarii that the slave owed the other slave and then also the 10,000 talents. So whoever is good with numbers, can you tell me what those mean? Because it seems like it's important. Yeah, I think um, we often don't find humor in the Gospels or we don't necessarily like recognize this. But when Jesus says 10,000 talents, um, I think he's being uh, intentionally like provocative and funny. Okay. It's shocking. Um, this number is shocking. Right. So a talent was uh, a, a kind of everyday laborer's wages for around 15 to 20 years. Wait, so one talent is 15 to 20 years? 20 years worth of working. Yes. Just one talent. So think $30,000. Yeah. That's like the average American year. like salary, right? Yeah. $30,000 a year. F- $15 an hour times 2,040 hour, hours in a year equals $30,000 times that by between 15 and 20 I don't have and then times that again times 10,000 and the the amount of money that we're talking in relative terms to kind of contemporary life now is like four and a half billion dollars um it's, it's absurd it's, it's an the amount of money that we're talking about here yeah. is people like people would have been so shocked to hear this number that a guy got forgiven like the equivalent of like thousands of years worth of work, <laughs> yeah. right? Like uh, uh, this is billions, maybe trillions of dollars we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like the equivalent of of the value of um, you know Amazon just gets forgiven. Like the entire <laughs> GDP of uh, of um, uh, Sweden gets forgiven. <laughs> the entire GDP of Sweden gets forgiven. <laughs> I love that. Like, so real quick, Todd, you've got your PhD. Like, 
So that math that we just did, like anyone can do that math, right? And sort of come up with some relative understanding. Is that a fair thing to say? Like, yeah, well, I mean, th there is some kind of like fudging, right? So like a, a laborer in America makes $15 an hour, roughly, depending on where you live. Uh, but if you're in, say, Egypt, your wages would be, would be different. So, so, the, so how we think about this parable translated to our time should be relative to inflation and all those sorts of things relative to today. So like, even if you live in, um, you know, sort of rural South America and you make a certain amount, you could still probably do some math and recognize, oh, this is a, a, an astronomical amount of money. Yeah. No matter who you are. Yeah, that's right. And that's accumulating a lot of debt. How does one person accumulate all of that? Well, I think that's part of the comedy yeah. of it. Yeah. It's impossible for, for that person, in human terms, to accumulate that much amount of debt. And to I mean, be able to isn't pay it the, off. The parable of the talents, it gives out 10 talents. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. Right? And this is 10,000 talents. Yeah. This is, this is the, yeah, this is, uh, it's so shocking and astronomical. It's, it's uh, hyperbole. It's, it's, I don't know what you want to call it, but, you know, we're talking about the GDP of Sweden that somebody uh, had forgiven. Like, so you know that this is a parable. Like there, like there, there, there's some, uh, there's some. Jesus is having fun with this parable. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's making a point by going to the extreme. So since we've kind of concluded that it's like a bajillion dollars that, um, it is a bajillion dollars. Yeah, yeah, like a bajillion dollars <laughs> that this king or this lord is forgiving his servant. What is the significance of that for us? Well, I think it says something about the nature of. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an insurmountable, unpayable debt. Mm -hmm. If we're trying to count sin in our life on a day-to-day -day basis, like uh, it's it's more than can be counted. <laughs> um, I mean, I think if you were to, well, translate. So, so 4.5 billion, I think we, we have, what is it? We have 10,000 weeks in, in, a, in a lifetime. Uh, 4,000 4, weeks, Oliver Berkman's book, roughly 4,000 weeks him. in a lifetime, right? Uh, so if you're taking, if you're trying to count sins as, as, a, as a kind of dollar figure, 4.5 billion is, is an insurmountable, unimaginable, greater than you can either tally any kind of sin. Uh, that's and that's the stand-in, right? The money is and debt is meant to be a kind of stand-in for sin. And and let's let's go back to the denarii for a second because a hundred days' wages, like that's that's still a lot of money. It is. It's something like you know just a little cocktail napkin math here. It's something like it's twelve grand, like twelve thousand dollars. That amount of money to us is you know that's like a a good used car payment. You know what I mean? Like if you have a $12,000 in loans on a, on a used car, it's probably a decent used car. So it's still a significant amount of money for people's day-to-day -day life. You know, I was thinking about this, and and actually, as I was sort of thinking about this more, what I realized is that someone who owed $4.5 billion, uh, $12,000 is nothing. It's nothing, absolutely. Yeah. And, and in some senses, uh, as, I'm sort of, as I've sort of thought about this more ahead of the podcast, I've realized that the, that the contrast in numbers is meant to be infinite and next to nothing. Yeah. So, so like relative to what he owed, you, it's, it's plausible to imagine that this, uh, servant could have afforded to have the hundred denarii sort of be forgotten. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, like it's $12,000 and to you and to me that, that might feel like a lot of money, but to someone who owed 4.5 billion, we can plausibly suggest that 
he might he could have written it off and not not batted an eye. Right, right, right. It's sort of like uh, you know, I'm not a Wall Street banker. None of us here are Wall Street bankers, but there are some people <laughs> for whom, like, they deal in money figures that are this astronomical in the billions of dollars, and for them, twelve grand is is not a, not a big deal. I think that's maybe it. is that is it a fair way of kind of like understanding a little bit more? I mean, not to make the Wall Street guys the bad guy again. It's a little <laughs> now bit now. I'm cliched. thinking Gordon Gecko. <laughs> Gordon Gecko. <laughs> Always be selling. When I'm preaching and teaching from a parable, there are two things. There are two shocks that I see in this story. So there are two things that don't match up to everyday life that come forward in the story. The first is that um, there is a debt that exists that is a bajillion dollars and that it is forgiven. And the second thing that doesn't match up to everyday life is that the person who is forgiven this debt um, does not have within him the engendered gratitude or at least the sort of psychological integration to recognize that the right response would be, at the very least, not to have a guy thrown in prison for a tiny little bit. So, like, if I'm talking about this text to my congregation or to someone else, those are the two things I really want to highlight like people talk about parables being everyday life. This one's not so much everyday life and that's okay. Um, but because there are things that are shocking to the original audience and to us as well, the numbers are a big piece of this. But I also, when I think about it too, like God forgives my bajillion amount of, of debt as in he forgives my sins. But when someone wrongs me, like, like a friend or someone I know, it's hard for sometimes, well, a lot of the times, it's hard for me to forgive that person until after like a while, you know, like I want to hold that grudge. And so I see myself in the unforgiving servant of I'm receiving this forgiveness for my bajillion amount of debt, but I am really bad at forgiving my neighbor. Yeah. And I think part of this parable is that contrast in money figures is, is actually meant to be, um, evocative, right? It's meant to imply that this thing that your neighbor has done for you, while it may feel against you, it may feel like it's huge mm -hmm. is actually really small. Mm. Um, and, and I actually th think, find this to be the case so often. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever had someone t tell you, come up to you uh, unsolicited and say, um, I forgive you, and you have to wonder what they're talking about. Okay, this this yeah. is I don't know that me. that's ever happened if, to me. If yeah. someone did that to me, I would like not have a good response to that. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, Tom, like you carry on. You're like spiraling in anxiety. You're like, what did I do? Either that, or I would like want to punch them in the face. I don't know. I'm like, okay, so you're telling me to forgive you for something that I have no idea I need to be forgiven for. Anyway, well, Todd, you tell the story. Yeah. So often what happens, so um, if you've ever have this, have this happen to you and you don't remember what it, what that implies is that um, the offense is so much larger to the person who is uh, offended against it is. than the offendee. Because yeah. for you, it was an offhanded comment mm -hmm. uh, that you didn't think twice about, that you didn't realize actually did anything at the time. Mm -hmm. And you come to find out five years later that they're still embittered about something that you said over at a Thanksgiving party you yes. know, X, Y, and Z yep. years ago. So uh, in some senses, like this parable is sort of showing that while it might feel like it's a big deal, it actually isn't in yeah. the in sort of 
you know, infinity is a, is a very large number. Yeah. But I think the point is still there, right? Um, everybody wants to be forgiven, but no one wants to forgive. Mm. I mean, that's human nature in a nutshell. Yeah. It's part of what Peter's problem is in this text. And I think it's what this text highlights. Part of human, the human condition is when we do wrong, we can, we can, what is it? The fundamental attribution error, right? When we do something wrong, this is a psychological term, um, we always come up with excuses to mitigate the offense for yes. what we've done wrong. But mm-hmm. when somebody else does something wrong, we automatically assume the worst about them. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. something about human nature that Jesus is getting at here where he says, um, you're not, there's no, there's no integration. There's no integrity. There's no sort of, um, there's a blind spot here where we love to be forgiven. We seek forgiveness when we do things wrong. Um, but when the tables are turned, our attitude flips and, and that kind of, uh, sort of moral hypocrisy that every single human being secretly has in their heart is part of what Jesus is coming to cleanse us from and to expunge from our spirits. Yeah. And uh, I think that's part of what this text is bringing forward. What, what's that term? The fundamental attribution error? Yeah, yeah. the fundamental attribution error uh, is, I think, the psychological term for that <laughs> that that thing. Um, I learned it from the, the Simeon Zoll uh, from the Deja Vu edition of the Mockingbird magazine. <gasps> Right, uh, I know it's your favorite. favorite. Yes, I thought uh, I thought you appreciate that, Callie. It's so uh, Simeon Zoll, one of our Mockingbird Orbit friends, uh, wrote about that and, and talked about how the world sort of says the world looks at this thing about forgiveness and says, "Oh, well, this is just some part of the human condition, and we're just thinking incorrectly, and maybe with some therapy and some and, and some." Um, you know, psychoanalysis, we can be set right. And Jesus says, actually, that's part of sort of the brokenness of the entire world is something like that. Yeah. And and part of what Christ is going to come and do is forgive us the bajillion dollars mm. so that we can actually see more clearly um, that part of our spirit. And then theoretically, we can repent of it. And maybe by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, we can be more comfortable with the fact that uh, there are other people who owe us much smaller debts than, um, the, the, than what we owed the heavens. So when I was finding articles on the topic of forgiveness, Uh, This podcast episode from Vox kept coming up. I don't know if you guys have heard it, um, but it was also like transcribed and I think was an article on their website. Uh, And it's John Illing's interview with Elizabeth Brunig. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yes. So good. Yes. And you guys already know Brunig writes for New York Times and The Atlantic. Um, And so in this interview, she's talking about forgiveness. And I think she talks about it in a really powerful way. Uh, So she says this. Forgiveness doesn't undo the fact of the offense, nor does forgiveness suggest that the offense wasn't really that bad. So a lot of the time, when you read people thinking through forgiveness, what you actually see them doing is trying to find ways to mitigate the offense. People will say, well, I wanted to forgive this person, and so I took into account that they didn't really mean it. They were young, they were ill, etc., etc. But the truth yeah. is that forgiveness pertains to a situation in which the person is guilty and culpable. That is when the question of forgiveness actually opens. It does not open up when you have a situation where somebody is not responsible for the offense. She says that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is when you decide to permanently forego seeking restitution or vengeance or however you want to think about it for an offense that someone really did commit. 
She continues, at the same time, I don't think people have ever been especially forgiving. I look back at late antiquity and early medieval period and the stuff I studied in grad school, and those are definitely not what I'd call especially merciful times or forgiving people. They knew it was important. They thought about it. They wrote about it. It was a virtue on their minds. But in just looking how society played out, it was something that, to borrow from Updike, was on their minds much more than on their schedules. I feel like that's such a mic drop of, like, dropping some knowledge. Um, I think she has a lot of great stuff here, but I want to hear how it resonates with you guys. I mean, I have a slight, like, academic dork out moment like <laughs> do her, her it. reference to do it. like antiquity and and like life in antiquity yeah. uh, as not being particularly forgiving like absolutely true <laughs> i mean everything about relationships in, in antiquity what was founded on the principle of quid pro quo um, of this for that of people who are fitting recipients in other words you like Forgiveness existed, but it existed for people who were worthy of it. Okay. Um, you only gave to people who could give back to you. You could only get. Uh, you'd only have found relationships with people who are of equal social standing, or people who were um, could advance your career. So like was the, it? Was it kind of like forgiveness was for the wealthy? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, in some senses, like you, you like forgiveness was for was um, for people who matter to you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, the idea of extending forgiveness to someone who is unworthy isn't mm. isn't really a thing. Like forgiveness for utility, but not for any other reason. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't a predominant social good, and and you know, in in a way, yeah, at all. Like, and so. I think it's easy for us to sort of talk about forgiveness. This is sort of missing the forest for the trees. When we look at this parable today, because we sort of stand on the other side of Constantine and all of those kind of the enlightenment and all this sort of kind of secularization of Christian values, we and we presume that forgiveness is, is a good thing. And then we zero in on, on the kind of bad news of, of this parable. And we mm-hmm. miss the idea that forgiveness is the you know written into the sky about how every about how how everything should function in the world. Um, You've said it. Uh, I remember when we were talking about this. You said it before. We miss the surprise of it. I really like the language that you used of surprise. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The the idea of a king forgiving such a great debt to anyone mm-hmm. would have been a surprise. Yeah. I mean, that like that just didn't happen. You know. If, if you owed Caesar a lot of money, he was going to get his money, <laughs> you know, usually with a very large army to enforce it. Or, or they'd take the pound of flesh to, to pay back for it. One of the two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, as I'm thinking about this parable, I think Elizabeth Brunig is right. Like forgiveness is much more on our minds as than it is on our calendars. And I thought that was such a, a, a poignant piece of it. Um, this is a parable. And I think Brunig gets to the heart of things where there's law and gospel here together. Uh, and I think that's a key piece of understanding this parable because in some sense, there's a part of me that is reflecting back on my relationship with this girl in college. And, um, you know, unforgiveness is hell. I, I I don't know where that idea first came to me. It might've been through Sarah Condon on the Mockingcast. It might've been through the writings of, of Robert Capon. But when we don't forgive, like we're in hell. 
And whether that's sort of this divine sort of refusal to acknowledge the forgiveness of the heavens, whether it's this relational piece of it where people wrong us and we refuse to forgive them and cut them off, I think unforgiveness is hell is a really great shorthand to understand the darker side of this text. Something that Brunig talks about, uh, I, I think, when she when she laments the fact that you know forgiveness is not something in our society that's valued as maybe perhaps we want it to be. Um, so I think as I'm preaching and thinking about this text and, and how I would t- teach it to a congregation, I would be very cognizant to preach the law and the gospel together. Yes, this text is about putting forgiveness at the heart of the Christian faith. And if you are not sort of at least willing and open to consider uh, forgiving someone who's wronged you, uh, then maybe we need to go back and reflect more on the bajillion dollars worth of forgiveness that we have experienced in Jesus's death and resurrection. The other thing I think that's practical about this text is to remember that Jesus does forgive us the bajillion dollars, and that is a surprise, and it's not necessarily something we should take for granted. When I was reading the article and thinking about forgiveness, I just thought about how um, we're never going to get this forgiveness thing right. Yeah, and how hard it is to forgive or to forgive fully. And in our human nature, we are not able to fully forgive the way that Jesus does. And so I feel like there's grace in that of, um, of like, yes, forgiveness is important, but we're never going to get it right. And I think that is okay. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately the basis of everything comes down to Jesus's own prior forgiveness. Mm. I think the way to think about this is that like here, this is a teaching that is raising a degree of reciprocity, right? Like Jesus forgives us and there's a kind of response Mm. that is engendered by that. But it's not as if Jesus's forgiveness is a once-off proposition, Mm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It is an ever anew, ever given, every single day. His mercies are new every morning reality. If today isn't your day, then maybe tomorrow will be. And if tomorrow isn't, then one day it'll be everyone's day. Mm, and we'll, we'll mm. all look at each other and, and wonder, what was it I was so angry at you about for? Mm. Mm. Um, mm. I can't seem to recall it. Thank you for listening to Terrible Parables. You can find us on the web at ember.com. Audio production for Terrible Parables is provided by TJ Hester. Please leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you've had a not-so-terrible time. Mm.